0: of the movie scramble podcast i'm sure that our dear listener has been worried as to our whereabouts given that we've not podded in a little while but the gang is all back together again and we're going to be discussing the blockbuster top gun maverick on this pod it seems fitting to come back with a bit of a bang and as i said all the gang is here sammy and john how are you both
1: i'm good yeah keeping the beat as most people have been doing had covid still a bit knackered but apart from that I've managed to uh, retain my good looks, so that's at least a plus. That hasn't deserted me, but I've just just found, looking my timeline and various things the last couple of days. There's been about four or five people that have caught it, so it's a bit rampant again. So, apart from that, I'm good, and that's all that matters.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, as long as our editor-in-chief is okay, and I think that's the thing, like, COVID would never, like, it, it may well ravage other people, but it knows when it entered the body of John MacArthur that, no shit was to be pulled. That hair that was still by, by good way. looks.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll cut that bit out. Anyways, Sammy, <laughs> <so, I mean, laughs> you've also had COVID, but you are also recovered?
2: Yeah, um, I think I'm actually mostly fully recovered or uh, near enough, but yeah, pretty much the jolly kind of left me tired and fatigued for weeks afterwards. Mm-hmm. I've stopped coughing them the morning, which is good. But, yeah, it's that. It's really it's not good. I would not recommend anybody catching it. I would not um, think of it as, ugh, it's just a wee daft flu or for like that, because as much as the flu was actually worse, I recovered from the flu quicker than I did this. This wasn't as bad as the flu, but it lasted longer in terms of trying to recover from it.
0: Yeah, I do feel like... I- I almost feel like not not that I've missed out because I've not caught it, but I do feel quite odd that still after all this time, because I am still seeing people just now catching it again. That I've, I mean, I was on several planes, however, obviously masked up. So you're like COVID immune? Maybe I am actually just immune to it. Maybe actually it's me that's the cure or the cause. Yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, have to look that's the sides of the coin. Here. I was gonna say that's that's totally fair. I'm from Glasgow after all. So as I've said, on our pod we are discussing Top Gun Maverick.
1: What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special.
2: Fellas, this here's Bagman.
1: Bangman. Oh, whatever. What
0: the hell kinda of mission is
1: this?
2: Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us?
1: Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt.
0: Not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazanski, AKA
1: Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. I just want to manage the expectations
0: which uh, came into cinemas in May of this year after several delays, the plot of which is pretty simple. You know, for more than 30 years, Pete Maverick Mitchell hasn't progressed beyond the rank of captain because he doesn't want to do a desk job because he still has the need for speed. There's loads of Top Gun puns coming your way this episode, so just keep listening. In this particular film, he's got a really dangerous new mission and he has to return to Top Gun, where he has three weeks to whip a bunch of pilots into shape whilst confronting his past. So... John, does Top Gun still manage to take your breath away?
1: <laughs> Lovely, well done. It does, yes. It's a worthy sequel to the original. When you go back and look at the original, it is a bit ropey in places, I must say. And uh, this is a bit of a spoiler for a film that was made in the mid-'80s, but there's an ending tacked on to the film, which had nothing to do with the rest of the film. The whole film was the graduate from Top Gun, and then they thought wait a minute, we've got 20 minutes, let's create a a whole other bit. So this film was far more cohesive. There was a start, a middle and an end, and it all joined up. It was spectacular, obviously, because technology has come a long way and did a bit of reading about how they actually put the film together and all that, and they were actually flying or they were actually in planes and everything. So it was far better in terms of coordination and all that. But yeah, yeah, it was a spectacular movie. It's a summer blockbuster and I think you have to sort of gauge it on that you, you're not going to take it as a totally serious film and tear holes in it that way. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. saw so, saw so it last night, and uh, I was it was really really good. It was a very very good experience.
0: So I think you've just talked up to Tom Cruise's Pocket Money because I believe it's now surpassed 800 million at the box office, and will probably hit a billion. You know, long before the the summer. Um, Simi, so, mean, what were your sort of initial thoughts upon watching it?
2: Well, I have to confess, with regards to the first Top Gun, that I am not the biggest fan of it. I think I it was one of those films that maybe if I seen it when I was younger, almost seen it for the first time, about six years ago. I thought it was fine for what it is, but I don't know, I just compared to other films of that style from that era, I've always found Top Gun pretty average. So I didn't feel the need for a sequel, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant <laughs> from start to finish. I was just I was just smiling the entire time. And as much as I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the first one, I really bought it in nostalgia that they managed to incorporate. Yeah, um, I
0: thought that was really well done. I think that, because like, I'm, I'm with you, I actually think the first Top Gun's actually, it's quite a terrible film, it's really cheesy, it's uh, really over the top and it's, I don't know, I felt like I had a lot more bought into this one. And I think the fact that obviously this starts, you know, with a kind of open scene that's almost like in a shot for shot remix straight away. You are sort of I mean, I'm I barely made the 80s, I only made the last three months, but I did feel this sort of overwhelming rush of nostalgia for the the original, and there's lots of little touches throughout that allows you to sort of get involved. Even and in fact, do you know what? Even if you've not seen the first one, I still think you could go into this and it still feels like an 80s movie in a way.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing, it's um yeah, I about the first one being really cheesy and over the top. So is this, to be fair. But yes. it's done better. But I think the key point you mentioned there, the fact that you're a lot more invested this time. There doesn't seem much substance to the first one. And that's not a criticism because there's lots of films I like with no substance whatsoever that I find really enjoyable. No. <laughs> <laughs> with Top Gun Maverick, though, I was really caring for the characters. Uh, there were some people I didn't want to die. It's predictable as it was, I still cheered in my head at the at the end. And it was just so enjoyable. And you said John that's a great summer blockbuster. It's exactly what you want from a summer blockbuster. That's just big, action packed thrill ride. It's a great cinema film as well.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's just to touch on you saying it's a cinema film, Tom Cruise obviously has quite famously during his press junkets, you know, said that he really campaigned for this to delay its release and you know, have a cinema release as opposed to an at-home release, was he right for sticking to his top guns? I'm really yeah,
1: sorry. <laughs> well, he's in the business now of making cinema films. He's not yeah. in the business of just making films. Everything that he's got in his slate next to Mission Impossible films and all that, they're big spectacular blockbusters. So he's wanting them to be seen on the big screen because that's what they're, they're made for. I mean, With this film, I mean, a lot of it was filmed using IMAX cameras, which Mm -hmm. won't come across the same way when you're watching it at home, no matter how big your television is. It is a big screen experience. It's something that you want to see. It's an event. That's what it's, you know, it's an old-fashioned event film, which it doesn't make any, it doesn't try and hide that in any way, it's got no allusions to being serious art. It's a big fun film that everybody can watch and you can you could quite literally go away and have a coffee for 20 minutes and come back and not really have missed any of the plot <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I, get what
2: you're, I get what you're saying yeah. but the same token as like jump out for, for a VP break or a tea break at your peril because there's so much happening action wise that you can't go to your seat for a good, a good whack of it and it's funny we kind of mention it and saying like this is like a cinema film and Tom Cruise is in the the business really now of making these big blockbusters. If you were to say this is a cinema film, even like ten years ago, people would always film like Jean Luc Godard and all these really high class, highbrow art yeah. cinema pieces. But no, because I could I could watch that in the house and it wouldn't be much different. Cinema films to me are these big blockbusters that are just great sound, great picture quality, massive screen just really immerse yourself in it
0: absolutely i agree i think actually it's funny what you're saying about you're kind of stuck to your you felt like you couldn't leave your seat i definitely it was almost like i was creating my own 4dx experience i felt like <laughs> i was like pushing back in my seat when they were you know taking off or whatever you're kind of gripping on to things it was quite uh, yeah i mean it's a sort of visual spectacular isn't it that's definitely what it's gone for and i think it's meriting from lots of repeat viewing people that i know are on like you know viewing number three four five and certainly my uh husband is desperate to get back and see it again being a big Tom Cruise fan I think one of the films that one of the things that this film gets right actually is the sort of continued characterization of Maverick in particular because he is the character we're most familiar with it you know everyone in the, the cast here I think that he just about gets away with still playing the sort of cocky rebel, uh, given that he is pushing 60. But I thought that the sort of wider cast in general worked really well. You know, all of the pilots have all got their own kind of stories. But if we focus on Maverick to start with, obviously with him being the the star of the show, did you feel like his character had evolved? Do you feel like he, you know, how much... How much is this a Tom Cruise film as much as it's about the the group of pilots,
1: I guess? His character has changed in that he realises what age he is. He's not trying in the same way to be the same guy he was 30 years ago. You can tell that in the sort of initial scenes when he's dealing with the hierarchy, when he's speaking to them, when he's getting dressed down by the Ed Harris character, for Mm. instance. He doesn't come across as being a total young cocky. Pilot that he was, he has a certain amount of respect for the job and for the position and all that. And he doesn't argue the toss with them. He kind of just accepts because, like, not really giving in, it's not really giving anything away by the the fact that, like, he's almost out the door in the first 10 minutes anyway, just because of his behavior, which is very straight out of uh, the 1980s film as well. But he, he almost react, reacts like he, he knows his time's quite close because he's been doing this for so long, you know, there's only so many times you can batter your head against authority and get away with it and I think he's kind of past that. But yeah, and he's, he's evolved in that way but he, he hasn't evolved in the way that he's, un, he's He's a bit unsure about himself as well because he's been brought in to train all these pilots, and he says, I'm, I'm not a teacher, you know, don't know anything about it, you know, and so that's like a, a challenge for him that he, he probably didn't want in the first place. But yeah, I think he has changed. It's it's a bit of a mixture. Yeah, you still get to see him without his shirt on. And he still looks pretty fucking good for a guy who's nearly 60, let's face it. But yeah, you get that, but you only get a wee bit of that. And then the others are left to yeah, go. Yeah, it's, it not like as, half, it's half,
0: definitely not as gratuitous,
1: yeah. Yeah, halfway through that whole sequence touch football sequence he goes and sits down and puts his shirt on you know while the rest of them are all bathing in the, the lowering sunlight and all this and yeah. you know oh, water's glistening off their abs <laughs> apart from the females who are who are dressed appropriately i must say
0: yes uh, there was actually representations one of the things i will uh, sort of come on to but i really appreciate it like whoever it was in the script who decided Do you know what we need glenn powell with his shirt off running up and down a beach playing some touch <laughs> football <laughs> so if that was uh you're looking like Chris McQuarrie I'm very very appreciative of that and um, I think the big thing as well for for Maverick is also the sort of countering of, of his relationship with with Iceman and how that's that's changed over the years and you know without where we're, we're going to go into spoiler tel- territory actually but um the presence of Val Kilmer in this film and sort of reiterating that character I thought was so well handled, so emotional. It did get me very, very teary to see it. And actually it it brought a new dynamic to their relationship because you could kind of see echoes of their relationship with sort of Miles Taylor's ca- character and Glenn Powell's, you know, like they're sort of facing each other off. There's clearly two factions in the camp there. So actually to see their relationship has evolved over the years and Iceman's almost like kind of looking out for him in a kind of fatherly way and making sure his career is okay. You know, what did you think of that and that sort of uh, small appearance from...
2: Val Kilmer as well I absolutely loved it, again going kind of to spoil territory here, apologies if people have not seen it, but yeah, Val Kilmer does make an on-screen appearance that I didn't know I don't know if that was widely reported or not but I didn't know if it was going to be in the film or not I know he was mentioned at the beginning and that spectre of him, for lack of a better term is kind of hanging over the film and mm-hmm. when you do see making make an appearance it is really emotional and let's be honest, that's because of how Val Kilmer is in real life it's very close to the bone. It feels very real because of that. It's a very authentic, it's a very authentic scene. I can imagine if Tom Cruise had emotions, that would be quite an emotional scene. <laughs> 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 um, what a
0: statement!
2: Me, please, please, please don't sue me. But, no, I, th- I thought obviously there's limitations to what you can do with Al Kilmer based on yeah. his, his, his health issues in real life, and that scene was so well done. And yeah. It, gave you, it, it showed how much the relationship evolved between the films in time we haven't seen. And mm-hmm. it evolved the way you'd imagine it to have done. You imagine the idea of them becoming really good friends. But also yeah. Val Cormor goes, becomes a family man. Maverick's still just that loner kicking about. And it gets that chance of redemption here because he's got the father figure almost and the Admiral uh, Iceman who's always kind of looking after him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And now he's having to play of pseudo-father for Rooster Mm -hmm. and he still feels that responsibility for Goosey's death in the first film and obviously Rooster doesn't just blame him for that but more the fact he's been holding his career back because he's trying to be doing what's right for him and then find out later on why he's been doing that and there's a lot of drama involved and it's it's really well written and really well done and going back to your earlier point about the evolution of Maverick I think the film bridges it really well because at the beginning of the film you see him testing that plane and he gets to Mac 10, and he looks at the dial and he thinks, <laughs> I could do more here, and you think, that's just Maverick. You're just pushing yourself. Yeah. But then the rest of the film, we see him kind of mature more into that father like figure, not just for Rooster, but the rest of the recruits, when he's trying to basically just keep them safe, as safe as possible. He's very protective of them. And as you mentioned, this could have easily been the Tom Cruise show. I mean, the film's got Maverick, but it's not. It is more of an ensemble piece, and... I didn't even really think about that, because of the touch football scene. But the fact that he takes a step back and just sits and watches it, it was a really nice touch. It was almost symbolic.
0: Mm. Yeah, because yeah, you know Tom Cruise wasn't knackered. Like that, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't giving up because he was like, you know, that, you know, I'm bailing myself out. So, yeah, no, I think that the, the ensemble piece, I think, really worked worked well for me I think the addition of the the new characters you've obviously got you know hangman who's like you know the cocky blonde all-american boy you've got rooster who's dealing with his familial uh, issues and his past you've got phoenix who obviously is a uh, latino woman which was I thought the representation across the sort of wider cast was a mm-hmm. lot better than the sort of white bro movie that the original top gun was uh, and obviously you have Bob who was by far and away one of my favourites. I didn't realise actually that Lewis Pullman is Bill Pullman's son. I don't know why I didn't join those dots because they actually look really alike. But Mm. I thought there was a lot, like just really nice, like fleshed out characters, even though they probably didn't have loads of time on screen, you understood immediately what the dynamic was like, who liked who, who was working well together. And I thought the group sort of, worked really well but i think in terms of casting certainly i mean obviously there's nobody there who's not part of the body beautiful but i thought in mm-hmm. terms of certainly optics of casting it was a lot more representative than the the first top gun movie which is very white bros i guess yeah, and
2: yeah. they managed to do it very naturally and very organically and I, I, I reason i say that because it doesn't seem very uh, backlash regarding it
1: because mm-hmm. you always
2: get that oh they're just casting people for sake of it it's ridiculous because mm-hmm. what's wrong with representation on screen and they've managed to do it in a way that nobody's even bat an eyelid which is surprising because you know how little it can be.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I In a way, that's when, because I, I went to see it, having only seen maybe like one or two trailers, and when I saw how, you know, I'm not saying it's like super diverse, but it was definitely more diverse than the first film, I was like, I am surprised nobody has accused this film of some sort of shoehorning mm. or whatever. Like, But it was, it was really, well, really natural and obviously reflects of the actual armed services, you know, as they
1: are, so maybe that's why there's no issue. I like the scene where they were all kind of introduced in the bar, and they were in the playing pool, and you, you just got them casually introduced to each other, and all the dynamics were all worked out, and then like Bob was sitting there <laughs> in stealth mode. I thought that was really funny. That was really brilliant.
2: Like that. that was yeah. really well done. But that scene mm-hmm. in itself is a, a testament as well to how well written and directed this film actually is, because mm-hmm. you've got all these new characters, you don't know who they are, Yep. you go. You, you got to see the film because it's Top Gun Maverick. You know he's Tom Cruise is in it. We don't know his character. We don't know who else is going to be in it. We don't know how much overlap was going to be. We introduced all these new characters, and they managed to do it in one scene without it being forced.
0: Yeah, and I've seen yeah. that causes you to be ultimately invested in these. As you said to me earlier on, you don't want anyone to die. You know, the more they go into how complicated this mission is, you are like, oh fuck, no one's coming back. And, you know, John Hamm's character Cyclone has said, you know you know, there's going to be at least one person not coming back from this or two people not coming back from this. But the more you get to know them, sort of even just from that first scene, you are kind of like, no, I don't want any of you to die. I like all of you like a lot. And I think the John, I think John Ham did the best he could with his character as well. Like I think it was a bit of a thankless task because it's mm-hmm. almost like he's the sort of Debbie Downer on, you know, Tom Cruise's, you know, really cool, fun instructor or whatever. But I actually think he made the character a little bit sassy, a little bit snappy, and it made it more than I imagine it was probably quite two dimensional on, on first read.
2: No, I agree, and that's the thing that he was a very, and on paper, a very stereotypical character that mm. hard ass, by the book. Admiral, who's not going to take any rubbish for the cocky Maverick and things like that, who thinks he's above the Air Force and stuff. But he managed to make him also more likeable than you thought it would be when he first came out of the screen, because it gave him more depth than he really needed. Yeah. And that's the thing with this film, I thought, in general, there was so much depth and substance. You're watching it going, is this a Top Gun sequel? Or have they just made this brand new film and called it Top Gun for Brandon purposes? It's just... I've never seen a film where the sequel has been so far superior
1: to yeah. the original.
2: I've seen films, obviously, where the sequel has been great. You watch like, Aliens, for example, Godfather Part 2, I'm sure we'll discuss these later. But yeah. with this, you're going, this isn't just a better film than the first one. This isn't just more enjoyable. It's a much better film in every single aspect, from the acting to the characters to the character. Everything about it is just better. Yeah. To the I point the- it not this doesn't even merit a sequel, let alone <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it all could have been its own standalone thing. I definitely think that the caliber of the the, the script in particular is, is is one thing that we can talk about. Um, I thought there was a couple of cheesy moments. Like I won't lie, the Tom Cruise Jennifer Connelly sort of rolling into bed eighties montage was a little bit sickening, and I don't think it needed it. But I actually thought the the quality of the script overall was was much better. And as I say, even these kind of sub like sort of secondary tier characters were much more developed. But obviously, I mean we can't talk about it without talking about how much better the aerial sequences were than the, the first film. The first film obviously relied quite heavily on special effects. This is mind-blowing. Like, mm. there is genuinely, seemingly nothing that Tom Cruise, Cruise won't risk his life for. And it is absolutely stunning, the combat sequences. They are really, really well executed.
1: Yeah, the main difference between this one and the original Top Gun is the sequences are all kind of cohesive here. You know mm-hmm. what's going on at all times. There's a, a through story, you know, where all the, like the aircraft, the action is happening and how it's all evolving. Whereas the first one just seemed to be, they kind of brought it together in the edit and just kind of shoved <laughs> everything that they could fit. Apparently they didn't have an awful lot of footage in the first one and they just kind of just jumbled it all together and made it look as good as it possibly could and obviously it worked. But this one is so much better. It's so well choreographed, the whole thing. And, I mean, it's very exciting. I mean, the first big aerial scene that you get is when he's training them for the first time the first Love day of those. training Love and those. that was just that was just fantastic because you just you were right in there with them and obviously the mistakes involved in that 200 push-ups that kind of thing but it really really worked I I was very very impressed by that and from there that's just like it's like you're on a roller coaster, and you're just going, "Whoa! How, how are they going to top this?" And obviously, they just keep it going and keep it going. There are wee dips, as you say, when there's little love interest and all that, or the unnecessary love interest. But yeah. you know, they, they, you have to have that. So when you get to these points again, you're thinking, "Yeah, spot on. Yeah, really, really good."
2: Yeah, definitely. And as you say, John, it's, you when you watch the action sequence, you keep think, "How are they going to top this?" And I remember at one point I actually thought the film was going to end, and I would be quite happy if it did. Mm-hmm. Then it was another half an hour. Of action scenes left. I was like just blown away by the the mission at the end. I mean, this is this is amazingly done. So yeah. well done.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think the the first when he's training them, when he's like, You're dead, you're dead, you're out. That was how, I loved that, like how funny it was as well as how exciting it was. And you're right, <laughs> I thought
2: it was, so different
0: yeah. uh-huh, it was. so good And then it was just like, oh, not again. And then you could we were basically just watching them through a rotation. It was so good. But You're right, I thought the film was going to end as well. And all of a sudden they were back up in the air. And I was like, holy shit, there's still Mm. more to come here. Did you read the story of, like, obviously Tom Cruise knows how to fly a plane. He made all the pilots in the film go through training. Did you hear the story about Miles Taylor, where he came out in this weird rash and he couldn't work out what was causing it. So he went to the doctors and got bloods done and he came on set the next day and said to Tom Cruise like oh I've had my blood son, and Tom was like oh what did they find and he said oh well it turns out I've got like jet fuel in my blood and he said yeah I was born with it kid (laughs) how (laughs) cool is
2: that (laughs) that's amazing is that not
0: the coolest story you've ever
2: heard speaking of miles Taylor that was incredible casting oh he's
0: phenomenal he's phenomenal. Yeah.
2: I mean,
1: I, I, And, has, and yeah. the caterpillar on his top lip. I thought that was you know they, on, look so,
0: oh, they look so alike. I actually thought, I said to test because obviously I'd, I hadn't seen Top Gun in a number of years, but when they showed you the quick flashback, I was like, oh my God, he's his double. Like, that was perfect casting. It
2: yeah, was. If you well. look at them, they don't really look alike. But in my, no, in, in general, in real mm-hmm. life, I mean, like, in just in general, you wouldn't think there were, you wouldn't, wouldn't compared to them. These mannerisms and stuff, he managed to get the, the right parts down without just emulating him, mm-hmm. which is very difficult to do. It's very, I imagine, it's a lot easier for an actor to emulate somebody than emulate parts of them to come across like a relative. huh. That must be a lot more difficult to do. And I thought he got it spot on. Yeah.
0: Mm. Even do you know even the lovely little tribute over there, singing "Great Balls of mm-hmm. Fire." but I was like this is so cool and it's so well done and like I said it's done in a way that even if you haven't seen the first Top Gun film it's very clear what's going on and there's a there's a little bit of reminiscence going on there so I think it is really well executed I think Miles Taylor is really he makes good interesting choices like I think we've seen as a, coming into that uh, Spiderhead that's coming onto mm. Netflix as well he makes really cool career choices I think he's quite an interesting actor to watch
2: I think he had a fantastic four he had to Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry i just I deleted that from my memory sorry <laughs> yeah I it's think...
1: quite a checkered career though to be honest because he was supposed to do la la land so so he, was. Was in, he was in line to do that and he, he right. decided not to do it because he'd done uh, a whiplash. Whiplash, whiplash before that and yeah. he was in line to do it and then he says no i'm not doing it and i don't know if he'd fallen out
2: with the director or what but all right. Uh,
0: okay
1: he and then obviously,
2: it was Fantastic Four, so yeah, It's phenomenal in Whiplash as well. Yeah. It's a great mm-hmm. film. Um, it's fun to talk about Fantastic Four briefly. Uh, a few of the actors from that managed to kind of bounce back. Obviously, uh, Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, didn't do him much harm. Katie Mara, I can't remember the last time I seen her, and uh, Toby Kebble never really recovered from it, unfortunately. <laughs>
0: The Curse of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> I think well, that's an
2: interesting video I'll send you. it if you're interested, it's the kind of making of the production of it, and it just says a total oh. nightmare.
0: I wonder what it's like. because I like obviously. I mean, the thing with this is like you. I I feel like there's some films as an actor when you're on set, you must know you're on to a Good and. Like, it must be really high production value. So, you know, what do you do when you're in the middle of a film and you're just like, this this is shit? <laughs> like, you must get a sense that this is not going to go well, you know, when you're filming it. But I think to circle back on Miles Taylor really quickly, obviously Tom Cruise, massive box office draw, charisma by the bucket load. I think Taylor really holds his own, actually, oh, yeah. when, they're, when they're acting together. And their scenes together are actually, you know, really nicely done. I think they're, the dramatic scenes they have together are, are really, really good.
2: What interesting as well, like, you talk about the evolution of Maverick. Mm-hmm. What about the maturity of Tom Cruise and the fact that he's playing he's height in this film?
0: <laughs> do you mean they yeah. didn't? Because uh, for what do you call it, for Kelly McGillis, they what, dug holes for her to stand mm-hmm. in. Is that correct? Yeah. So they've cast him within not only an age appropriate love interest, but a height appropriate one as
2: well. Yeah, I mean, there's scenes in this film where you see, like, yeah, Mouse Tale, for example, just towering over him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And but I didn't even I an watching it, but actually after I read, I didn't even think watching it, I think that's an testament to how much you're invested in it. You're not mm-hmm. picking up your things like that, but after it, was we'll saying, no, "Oh no, it's actually, a lot of fans will notice in the fact that Tom Cruise is a lot shorter in this film than he usually is in films. I thought, it's yeah. interesting.
1: Well, I, It's when they were talking to each other before they were going out on one of the training flights, mm-hmm. and they were standing there talking, and nobody else could hear them because of the jet noise, and mm-hmm. you got that shot of them, and there was a height difference, and I was thinking... Mouse Taylor must be about five foot six or five foot seven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, because actually, they had John Ham sitting down a lot. And I think he's a, he must be about six foot. So we had him sitting down talking to him quite a lot. And now that you've said that, I'm like thinking throughout the film because that Glenn Powell must be quite tall as well. Jennifer Connelly must be on a par with him. Yeah. I didn't really so I, I couldn't. One thing that did annoy me about the film, as it were, is I couldn't work out who she was meant to be from the first film. And it wasn't until afterwards when I came out and did a bit of reading that I realised that her character obviously wasn't in the first film at all. I got a bit confused, I must admit.
1: No, it was just something that happened in the intervening years. They'd obviously had this relationship with her. You said about the the, sort of the sex scene between them. It was very Mm -hmm. tame, obviously. And he was shirtless and she wasn't, actually, in that scene. And then I think that scene was necessary because when he left afterwards... He saw her daughter, mm-hmm. and she just says, "Like, don't break his, don't break her heart again." And that kind of like led into sort of more mature Maverick. It's not it's something you probably wouldn't have done have Just walked away before if he was mm-hmm. younger. But now he's a bit older and he's, yeah. you know, way a wee bit more responsibility, way a wee bit more, thinks a wee more, a bit more about things. So, in yeah. that way, yes, it was necessary. In the way that it was done. Ah, yeah, to he absolutely
0: it. was a bit like almost like, you know, how <laughs> like, they always pick up on this like cheesy 80s film. It's just like people start kissing and then the, pa- the camera pans out the window or pans to a roaring fire. It was so, like unexpected. And they, the film was quite cheesy and quite hyperbolic, but I just that really stood out to me. He's been so like, overtly cringy. I don't know why. It's probably because I mean, when was the last time Tom Cruise actually did like a love scene, if you want to call it that? He doesn't really do them these days. No, maybe that's.
1: No, I'm trying to think. No, maybe that's that it, it about looks.
0: cheesy. Yeah. Anyways, mm. I mean, it, it, it no. was the one thing that kind of stuck out as uh, sort of uh, a bit cringy. What I did love in particular, and I've been playing it all morning, is the score. I thought the score was really well done. I love that you know they elements of Zimmer in there. Lauren Balf, who obviously does the Mission Impossible films, was the musical supervisor, and of course you have that Lady Gaga banger as well that's played a couple of times. They had like cello versions of Danger Zone, so like I just thought it was so <laughs> it, it was amazing. It blended the first the movie from the first film, the music from the first movie, sorry, with these kind of new updated songs as well. I thought it was really well well done. That kind of nice blend.
1: Yeah, I can't take danger zone seriously at all because <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if you, if you watch Archer. The oh yeah, uh-huh. animated, and that's yes. in that all the time, you know, when he's yeah. trying to get people to go into the danger zone, all yeah. the time. and just yeah. because of that, it's just you know every time it comes on, that's all I think of. I just think of I don't think of Top Gun, I think of Archer. So.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. I'll tell you something, Kenny Loggins was a clever guy, eh? A B A song for Top Gun, a wee song for Footloose, and I bet you that guy's never had to work again in
2: his yep. life. just sat back, but he's feet up and retired <laughs> in the 80s.
0: That's absolutely brilliant. But no, I did, I did really appreciate the music as well, and I actually really like the Lady Gaga song. I think it kind of sounds like a song from an 80s movie. I think, again, to go back to the kind of nostalgia element of this, I think it executes it all really well, and it, in a way, although it's... A really obvious update of a film that was actually not that great. It feels like an eighties movie to me when it mm-hmm. when you watch it. I just think yeah. It's, it's yeah really well done.
2: Oh yeah, I mean it's there's not a lot of sensitivities regarding that in terms of uh, America, T uh, America versus the world type idea. Yeah. But at the same time, so. Uh, yeah. right. <laughs>
0: no, I know, I know. They
2: don't know. mention the enemy anyway by name in terms of a country, which I think actually I know it was poster of North Korea, but I'm glad it didn't. I'm, I'm glad the film is just cast nameless enemy because. It's just good guys versus bad guys. It's, it's old school.
0: Yeah, because I had obviously asked you guys about that because it did kind of, I was like, oh, it seems weird that they're not, you know, seeing a specific country. And I was wondering, is that to avoid, you know, getting the movie banned in certain countries or were they thinking about political sensitivities that have happened since the film has obviously been wrapped up? But I think, as one of you guys said to me, don't actually mention it in the first film either. Is that right? Yeah,
2: it's kind of implied that it's the Russians, but apparently um, some fan theories uh, kind of try to draw a lot of dots. Mm-hmm. Even the insignia and the planning things, uh, do believe it's more like on North Korea in the first oh, film right, okay. with uh, China with Chinese sympathies, which obviously you couldn't have now if you want to film in China. Yeah, but yeah, I like the fact that, especially the fact that in the first one on them was, and this one on them was, even when you see the pilots that have got mad, they're not real people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they almost look like bugs. They're just kind of faceless, sort of. Yeah, uh-huh. that's
2: perfectly fine because that's a pure throwback to these kind of eighties action films where bad guys are just cannon fodder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't detract know. from the film in any way no, that no, the no. enemy isn't named you know? yeah. I don't want to see the enemy talking about uh, how their country was bombed by Americans in the 80s and they've got a family and they're just trying to do stuff I don't want to care about them I'm interested <laughs> in
0: them anyway. yeah. Yeah, you're just here to care about Bob and make sure that he makes it all the way to the end. (laughs) I've never sympathized with a character more in my entire life. He just looks so awkward, so out of place, and so just not part of the cool kids. (laughs) It's like I'm Bob. So obviously, this is a super massive sequel. Do you see any sort of Rooster sequels happening, or do you think this is it for Top Gun? It'd
1: be difficult. Yeah, I think it's that. Yeah, I I can't see it somehow that they they could engineer some sort of story and take it with. Rooster being the, the lead character, but mm-hmm. will it have the same pool? I don't think it will. I suppose they would need to bring Maverick into it at some point as an advisor or whatever, you know. But I, I don't think it would work as well. And you've got to remember, Mr. Cruz has getting on in years, and this would be, I wouldn't see that if, even if they started it now, it would be mm-hmm. four five years down the line. Because he's got a couple of Mission Impossible films to get out of the way first. so
0: That's true. However, he doesn't have a single grey hair and appears to still have a six pack. So I, I doubt that age would deter him much. But I think that, yeah, I mean, I think the story's pretty much wrapped up. I'm just amusing because I saw something on Twitter the other day of somebody demanding that Rooster get his own sort of spin off yeah. or whatever. But I think it's just, it, you know, people are getting swept up in how popular this yeah. film obviously is just now. Like,
1: I would argue the point against the Tom Cruise having grey hair though, because see with like obviously high definition cameras and stuff like that now, his hair looked suspiciously dark. For <laughs> of my
0: age. Do you think he's been t- you know just for men before?
1: I I, I think yeah I, yeah yeah. There's, there's been there's been a little work done there as well as on his face. There's been a little work done because you see the difference in him when they, yeah. they do some flashback stuff. It he does it start to look a wee bit uncal- uncanny valley like you know he's, like not. Like sort of superhuman type, you know, it's not quite a, a normal person look anymore. He's he's not quite there, but you know, he is getting. Yeah, there. he's not he's
0: not quite the Bride of uh, Wildenstein. but I do have a theory because now he's kind of sporting that sort of Robert Redford choppy kind of longish. I'm convinced he's had a facelift and obviously if you get a facelift, the scars are behind your ears. So I'm convinced he's grown his hair. I'm really sorry, Tom Cruise, if you're listening, please don't sue me. But I'm convinced that's why the hair's long to cover up the fact mm-hmm. that he's obviously, because there was a while ago, maybe like maybe towards the end of last year, but he was at some football game and he was seen looking really puffy, almost like post-surgery. And I think maybe you've had a wee nip and tuck and that's why the hair's a bit bit longer.
1: Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. There's, he can tell there's been some work done. Mm-hmm. because he used to have he had a face that had character and there was lines and everything even when he was younger but a lot of them have disappeared there are no peaks <laughs> and troughs on Tom these days, it's very smooth that's
0: all, It's all that good clean Scientology living, John I think that's, I think that's what
1: it. Is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for, for the lawyers for the Scientology lawyers that are listening that was Mary who said <laughs> that.
0: Yeah, Mary's, Mary's, Mary's
1: views no longer reflect the views of the rest of the, the movie's gamble. No, oh, no longer reflect <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, I meant to say, I thought of you guys last night, I went into Tesco uh, to pick up some shopping and they had a Father's Day display and I went to take a picture of send it to you because all it was was like Berlin and like war books and stuff like that. And I was like, am I a Father's Day? <laughs>
2: Just imagine, actually, like uh, if you're watching a film, you're like, I say, oh, the fact is, nam- this nameless enemy, and then you read something, it's actually supposed to be Germany, and you're like, I'm done.
0: Wrapping <laughs> 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 up our tickets, like, never again. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to add about uh, our, our obviously enjoyment of uh, Top Maverick?
2: Just you know, you think that actually talk about kind of potential spin offs and that. I don't see them making another film, even like a, a rooster film, regardless of how much fun this film makes. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they had some sort of animated series on Netflix.
0: Oh, but i mean paramount plus is due to launch in the uk and obviously i'm pretty sure top gun is owned by paramount studios so maybe well, something a like that yeah i
2: wouldn't be, I would be yeah. surprised if it said something like that because budget wise you could just do what you want with the planes and yeah, i don't know i don't know just i just get a minder when we're talking about yeah. it yeah yeah i it definitely seems...
0: think that animated would be the way to go since crew seems particularly passionate about having live action features in the cinema like during as I say during his press tour he mentioned it a million times he said he goes to the cinema at, like in person at least once a week he watches a film every single day he's very passionate about you know cinematic releases and as, and as I said before it's quite clear in the the stunts etc that they they pull off on this but I just wondered as I say people are very caught up in this sort of Top Gun maverick madness at the moment and obviously Miles Taylor and Glenn Powell's character in particular seem to have don't know why, it eh, caught people's attention. And I thought the idea of a spin off might be, or a sequel might be quite interesting. It makes
2: sense an the idea of this film's made uh, close to a billion dollars. It probably will make a billion dollars, as you mentioned oh, earlier, yeah. that there's no way they're going to let it lie. But at the same time, I just don't really know where. I Don't get me wrong, the first one did merit it. I just don't see where this goes. It's, it's a very nice, complete story. Mm-hmm. Oh no, yeah. I, I agree. I'm just. I was not my, I I my support. I just, I don't, I still can't see it for some reason. I just can't. I can't see it.
0: I think you maybe can't see it without Tom Cruise. I think that's the. That's
2: awesome. it
1: is. That
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of already <laughs> just while I was scouting the internet. There's already a lot of very erotic fan fiction going out about Top Gun <laughs> Mavericks So if you ever find yourself at a loose end, that's that's fun to look up. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> slash fiction
0: yeah it's uh, yeah yeah it's interesting. but yes as far as I'm concerned it's a it's a recommend for me. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I'll probably go back and see it at the cinema uh, again, it's just it was just really good fun and that, as you see, that kind of big sort of bombastic blockbuster sort of it's not trying to be Oscar worthy it's not trying to be anything sort of above its ideas, whatever it's just pure popcorn fodder in the best way possible. do you guys recommend it Take it yes,
2: one hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, totally.
1: And I was very pleased that they didn't do the no, you can be my wingman. <laughs> <But> again, <laughs> yeah, I thought that, yeah. that would have been like like smelly cheese at that point <laughs> if we'd done that. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. It'd
2: be even worse if we'd done it, you can be my wing person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when did Simi become the politically correct voice of this podcast? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Over sections for
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you've, you've changed. You've changed since you got and those I, two strings. I, I
2: can't recommend this film enough. I, it's one of those rare films as well that I don't know anybody in person. I see that I'd on the internet, but I don't know anybody personally that does not like this film. I have discussed it with people and I thought, am I hyping this up too much? The way I see it and came back absolutely loving it. Nobody's even came back and said it was okay or, yeah, I quite enjoyed it, but everybody's kind away absolutely mind blown. And it's something, you not know, that you take much scope. You take much um, faith in Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. It's a like 97% for a film called, for a Top Gun sequel in 97%, is pretty insane.
0: Who are you, two percent Who thought it was shit? That's what I wanted
2: to know. Okay, so I, I thought I posted it in the group chat. Um, Somebody wrote a review in Letterboxd to just basically really slamming the film. It's a terrible review as well.
0: I mean, it has. I have seen people accuse it of being sort of like, almost like right-wing propaganda, like promoting the, the army,
2: which... I mean, sort of, I, mean, a, yeah. I mean, I mean, don't I think that's a fair point in terms of people watching and going, I'm going to join the Air Force because it does make the Air Force look really cool. Yeah, apart so from, from the fact the Navy they're in. But yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: do
2: right, yeah. <laughs> you know, see if the Navy wants to start flying planes and call themselves the Navy? That's just on name for bad branding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Their marketing has not been clear.
2: <laughs> I'm going to join the Navy. What are you going to do? I'm going to fly a plane. What? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's that's all taken into consideration in the, the film as well because there's a sailing sequence and uh, yeah. he doesn't know how to sail a boat and he says, I, I don't do this. I've joined the Navy, but I'm in a plane all the time, you know? So I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, See, this, this film
2: doesn't leave any stone unturned. <laughs> yep, no, yep, it explains <laughs> everything.
0: I do feel like they had someone sit and watch it and like make notes about any potential pitfalls. And now that you're saying that, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to add in a line about him being unable to sail boats, even though he's in the Navy. <laughs> so no I mean I obviously I, I thoroughly enjoyed it it lived up to my expectations and then someone as to say I'm not really a fan of the the original Top Gun Um it's not a film that I look back on particularly fondly I remember watching it you know for the first time and thinking this is a love story between two guys right this is what we're here for we're here for Val and Tom getting on yeah no um so I definitely feel like it was a not even just a, an improvement it almost as you say so I mean, it almost feels like it doesn't even belong to the first film at all it's just it's so good. So that's our thoughts on Top Gun Maverick. Feel free to get in touch with us and let us know yours. We're going to now talk about sequels that we've enjoyed or liked um, and we, ones that we think have maybe got, done better than the original movie. Simi, I feel like you're like the sequel king out of, <laughs> out of all of us. You've seen like part 14 of every horror franchise known to man. Is there any horror ones in particular that stand out to you or? Are you going
2: to go down the blockbuster route? <clears throat> no, definitely. I mean, the horror ones were the, some of the first ones I came to keep in mind. And because as you say, there's so many parts to a lot of these franchises. And sometimes you'll get them just being diluted. Like the Saw franchise, for example. The first one, in my opinion, is the best. Certain one's fine, but it just gets diluted for each one. But then you get something like um, Friday the 13th or even Nightmare on Elm Street, where it doesn't really take to a few films in before the franchise really kind of finds its feet. Halloween I say no much as an exception to that because the first one is great and then it just really kind of falls off a cliff after two. The Fighters 13, for example, the first film, Jason Voorhees isn't even the killer. It takes to the third film for him to get his hockey mask. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take to the sixth film before he becomes the Jason Voorhees of popular culture that we all know. Mm -hmm. That's that's quite interesting, that aspect. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street film, the first one's really good. That's more of a horror film, but it's the third one's probably the best. And that's more of the Freddy again. You know, from pop culture, quite scary but also quite wisecracking as well. Um, but in terms of horror films and sequels, Maniac Cop Two is probably one of my favourite <laughs> sequels. did not time. expect you to say that. Right, <laughs> I mean, it's very, very easy. It's like that, especially the title Maniac Cop. The first film is what it is. It's a slasher. It's Michael Myers with a badge. They they basically coined it as and. It's this uh, cop, get back for the dead, just running, re- running around from revenge through New York City. Then you get to the second one and it's this noir thriller, this noir serial killer. Thriller, for lack of a better term. Stylistically, it's incredible to watch. It's a very, very good film, and also it's a very interesting dynamic where the undead zombie-style slasher teams up with a very real-life human serial killer. And that dynamic alone makes for very interesting viewing. Uh, but still I say the actual look of this film, the noir aspect of it, really works. There's a surprising lot of depth in this movie. Robert Davi is the lead, and his performance in the film is really good. And again, you're watching this going, this should be a really just staff, cheesy B movie slasher. But it's actually very, very good. It's very well made. It's very well constructed.
0: Can I ask a stupid question? Why is there why is it so different from the film like in terms of quality and style and everything from the
2: first one then? Do you know, I actually did watch something from the Gardener. and I can't even mind. I'm pretty sure it the same director and the same writers and I find it right. just quite okay. a different route. And I mean, the first one, a lot of the first one as well mm-hmm. is filmed during the day, which is quite unusual for a horror film as well. And you've got this mm-hmm. cop walking through the city and you see the nice sequences as well because the idea is they try and obscure his face as much as possible because in the first one there's a big review of halfway through of who he really is. Uh, but the time the second one comes, they just hide his face quite a lot because the special effects aren't very good on <laughs> his face. And the first one, they are, and the second one, not so much. But there's also a lot of practical effects in the second one as well that really still hold up, like um, setting on fire and walking through the prison. There's a scene when they handcuff somebody, a car, and they're hanging in the door on the outside. And they puts the car in gear and just launches it in a hill. And you've got this car just hitting out of traffic with somebody hanging out of the side. It's some of the stuff still really holds up, but yeah, I'm not really, I can't remember why there was such a s- distinct difference in tone between the two movies. But they do everything about them is really different, including just the execution of them. It's still a slasher movie to an extent, but it's, it's honestly, I would really recommend watching it. It's a very good film. As well as films, it's one of those films that's much better than it deserves to be. Yeah,
0: that's, that's interesting. I must admit, I kind of obviously chuckled when you said the, the title of the film, but it does sound a lot better than the title would suggest.
2: And Robert Davi <laughs> is a great actor. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, obviously a bit kind of cheesy 80s man at times, but he does play again that very stereotypical uh, washed-up cop. You know, kind of like, uh, not in really good terms with the force with some psychological issues. And this is, you know, he's just a very kind of disturbed individual. Again, do you really need a character with this much death in a film called Maniac Cop 2? it <laughs> work? it works, and Just the yeah. cast in general are very good.
0: So again, another kind of silly question, like, do the people who really like Maniac Cop 1, do they still like Maniac? Because like, I feel like expectations have obviously changed wildly between the first two films in terms of the, the content that you're getting.
2: Maniac Cop 2 is considered uh, the best out of the series mm-hmm. by many people, fans, critics, whatever. Uh, although they're very different in terms of style. A lot of people still think the second one is the better film. The third one, on the other hand, uh, is not worth watching. It's awful. I have no idea what the hell they were doing. Actually, I do know, because it's uh, directed by Alan Smithy, so I should tell you everything regarding the production <laughs> of the movie. But at the heart of the film as well, which is basically the revenge films. So as much as a slasher, it really kind of leans into this in the second one. I don't want to get kind of too much spoiler in case you do watch it, but there's a very interesting moral centre as to why he's doing what he does. Although okay. the execution of what he's doing is not necessarily a good thing. He's a very angry individual and there's a reason for that and it comes to a very satisfying conclusion and a very crazy stunt scene at the end of the second one. Okay, And how many films
0: are there in the franchise
2: altogether? Yeah, and there's been talks of a remake for a long, long time. And apparently, and I'll get his name wrong, we will resolve um, Correct me. Nicholas Swinden Reffin. Yeah.
0: Oh
2: yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um he's been attached to it for about the better part of a decade now. Wow. Trying okay. to bring a new version to the screen. Last time I read about it, they're going to abandon the film idea and make it a TV series. And how they're going to do it, I don't know. I've heard some mixed reviews on how faithful it will be in mm-hmm. terms of how much they're going to update it for current climate of how cops have been seen and stuff. But that's a hell of a name if have attached to it.
0: Yeah, I've actually just downloaded that We Own This City, the John Bernthal one that's written mm. by the team behind the wire. And actually, the reason I wanted to watch it is because obviously they're saying it's quite controversial with its portrayal of, of American cops. I think anything that goes out with the title Maniac Cop right now might be seen as quite sensitive almost or controversial. And I really like, obviously, um, Nicholas and efferns and I really like his work. So I think it'd be interesting to see what he did with it because it would be... In my head I'm thinking it was something quite art house, something quite stylistic, mm-hmm. maybe elements of noir and how does that fit into the kind of conversations we're having right now about you know police, it, it's fascinating, it's actually really, I hope it gets made.
2: <laughs> also interested as <laughs> regard as much as this film, like I say it's, it's, it's like a noir horror and it works really well for it and you've got this serial killer element of this secondary character that isn't this undead zombified uh, cop, Is a very real life human person. Mm-hmm. Speaks quite a lot, so it seems when the two of them are having conversations, but the main a cop character doesn't speak, so it's just very one-sided. And this guy is basically quite insane and believes he's befriended them and has conversations himself, almost answering uh-huh. as if he's hearing them because he's convinced he understands what's going through his head. It's a very, again, a very complex character for this sort of film and a very well-acted part as well. Yeah, we bit... of this no, but,
0: but the thing is though, when you said the title, I was like. I won't lie. I was like, "That sounds shit." It sounds a lot more complex and interesting and nuanced than the title of the the film would suggest. So, I mean,
2: the, the first one is the first one is really enjoyable for it is it really is but it is what it is i mean
0: if i watch this and it's like 80s cheese fodder and you've sold it as this like you know stunning just dis- journey of self-discovery and all this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to my world over the last few years again <laughs> oh, you should watch watch wishmaster this is oh yeah that's four of them yeah. <laughs> at you know But have... at
0: least there's only four usually it's like oh it's 16 parts don't worry the last one's shit <laughs>
2: We see, did 10 he Hellraisers, so that's <laughs> true. I should just Even certain like stills from the film, or even the, just the posters, you can even tell by the posters have went from the 80s to the 90s, even though it's mm-hmm. from the 90s, it's still very early on. You can still see that kind of style of like films have changed a little here. People are looking for a more gritty mm-hmm. movie, yeah.
0: Okay, well, I was just keep an eye. It feels like one of those films that's probably on like the Sony channel or something, every single time. on YouTube, the... oh, right, okay solves that issue. John, did you have any sequels that you thought particularly stood out to you as being sort of better than the original or, or worse, actually, is the case, maybe?
1: No, well, I didn't go for worse. I went for ones that were slightly better. The, the obvious one for me was Star Trek The Rathakan, which was okay. miles better. The original film was a bit slow. It involved finding a satellite. That <laughs> was the whole story. Two and a half hours. Uh, we found it, you know. But the second one, obviously... <laughs> Reintroduced the character of Khan, a a, a rather well-tanned Ricardo Montalban, considering he was abandoned in a a planet that had virtually no sun and it was like sandstorms all the time. You're thinking, how does he get to be so brown? (laughs) Anyway, it's a far, but it's a more cohesive story. It's it's just it's it's everything that was really good about Star Trek, and it kind of brought back. Yeah, a lot of the characters and everything, and it, it made it such that people would actually remember Star Trek fondly, as compared with the first sort of snooze fest that was Star Trek: Motion Picture, because that was just trying to do uh, it's trying to do a Star Wars, but doing it in a more thoughtful way, and it just it was it was long and a bit dull to be fair. Mm-hmm. so that was one, and I thought also it was a couple I thought of Fast Five, obviously when the Rock joined the franchise, because up until that point, yeah, I mean you know you know my love for the fast and furious franchise anyway but uh fast and furious the fourth one yeah pretty good movie brought everything back together you know the, the old gang was back together but fast five Rio with the safe and all this it was a it was a next level which they kind of haven't really hit again as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. they've got bigger and bolder but it's never been that sort of jump where it is mm-hmm. and um Paddington 2, the comedy one, I just thought Paddington was an excellent movie, but so Paddington 2 is so sort of above that, and it's partly to do with the fact that uh, the bad guy in it's Phoenix Buchanan, a Hugh Grant character, and he's just amazing in it. And it's just the fact that they don't have to do any sort of origin story for Paddington or anything that's all been taken care of so it's just a pure story and it's really really funny you know the whole prison sequence and it's just spot on absolutely brilliant I haven't,
0: maybe. I haven't seen it, I watched Paddington at Christmas and I thought Paddington 2 was on Netflix but I think it's just come on to it so I'm desperate to watch it because oh, I yeah. loved Paddington so much yeah oh sure. it's really know.
2: worth it yeah I want to. I feel, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of Paddington too. I've heard a lot of people say it's really good. Mm-hmm. In fact, when Paddington 2 came out it was like Bill Kirkwood, the comedian I was following. And he was saying, I say Paddington 2. And uh, then he realized the plot was he was stuck at an airport on Christmas Eve. And he was trying to help get a plane get landed because he's wife's on it. And I'm just reading this at first going, that sounds like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it, it sort of fell in next to that. I don't know what because we had the McConaissance with Matthew McConaughey. I don't know what the Hugh Grant assance would be, but I feel like it kind of fell into that time where Hugh Grant was really just like just having a good time with the characters he was playing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the Gentleman and things like that. I kind of feel like it sort of fallen into that particular era in his uh, career.
1: Yes, when he stopped being the the sort of typical upper class Englishman role, when he yeah. stopped really doing that because he was still doing that like up to like Love Actually. And uh, mm-hmm. about a boy, he was still playing a sort of variation of that, but when he, he just decided to do something a bit different, and he's he's taken on like he was like Jeremy Thorpe, for instance, you know, and
0: yes. yeah,
1: that and uh, there was that drama with Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. uh, which was last year or year before, and he's aging now. He's he he has got wrinkly? He has mm-hmm. he does look a bit older. You can tell that if he has had any sort of work done. It's been very, very subtle. It's not in the yeah. same way. He, is, he does start to look older, which I think is a a choice. It's like Robert Redford as well. He still aged. Handsome. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, still handsome. But you can tell he hasn't very much work done because he looks old and craggy now. But yeah, I mean, a good-looking man like that will still be a good-looking man, you know.
0: Just like you, John, yeah.
1: to be honest with you. No, no, I'm falling to bits. <laughs> you're, <laughs> only seen me from, you're only seeing me from the shoulders up. Everything below that is just a
2: dumpster <laughs> fire. Just touching the Fast and Furious bit, John, because I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I would argue Why though, would you disagree with
1: me, Fucks. Well, I, I know, I you scared. do love Fast and Furious! <laughs> I
2: was scared, though, it starts that bit more after six, cause I really, I thought six was great. Um, yeah. I just kind of I thought, I thought seven was okay. I, I, I'm at that point, I watched the ninth one, and I came away complaining about things that I enjoyed about earlier films yeah. because I think you can sometimes take the suspension of belief in the physics a bit too far
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's all very well seen I'm not seeing these films for the for the realistic car stunts but I'm expecting to at least respect the laws of physics to a degree <laughs> yeah the the cars aren't limbs was
0: it mm-hmm. you guys that was telling me something about magnets is
2: this a real thing that's happened the fastest yeah, that Yeah, that, that, that scene was actually quite good to be fair. That scene was actually quite good. I, I was pretty good, yeah. There's right. yeah. a in space know. and I'm thinking
0: it right, this sounds good in paper, but does it does it sound good on paper? I
2: so.
1: But your your very argument there, I think it's six where there's a scene, they're gonna cross a big bridge, and Dom catches Letty in mid-air, <laughs> and then he slams into the windscreen of a car and gets up, doesn't even go. Oh, yeah. oh that's about you know, that's loosened it up a bit. You know, it just stands
2: up and you're thinking
1: it would be mush.
2: There's a level of disbelief I'm willing to accept, but I've seen in the nine fun when they hit the car onto the chain, then like bungee jump with it. Yeah, aye. I thought to myself, right, that doesn't even look like a good stunt. And that's the thing. I just kind of find these films. I'm actually watching them going, they're actually quite dull.
0: I yeah. think it's like it's. It becomes this age where, and actually, and I can't remember if it was you that told me this about the Mission Impossible films where they come up with the stunts first and build the story around it. From what you've described in Fast and Furious, because obviously I've never seen any of them, it almost sounds like they're just like, want to see if we can fling a car off a bungee jump? I ah, sure, okay, let's go well, shoot that today. It doesn't not, sound that
2: true. Apparently that's not far from the truth. It's something to do with Ben Diesel's creative control where he'll come up with an idea for a scene and then have to try and write it into the film. So he'll be sitting there and then go, I've had to go out space with the cars. And then they'll need to try and find how to do this. So there's a reason to make a crucial is really mm-hmm. stupid in the film as well, because they're shoehorning stuff in. Yep.
1: And Shit. you can tell
2: he's just going on to fan sites
1: and looking for ideas because... <laughs> uh, see, Vin
0: Diesel's Midnight Runs on Reddit going, aye, that sounds quite good.
1: <laughs> the next one will involve time travel because that's what everybody's been talking about. Well, oh, there has to be time travel in the next Fast and Furious Oh, Or a multiverse. A oh, Multiverse,
2: should go to some other universe where like... Um, I don't know. Um John Krasinski's playing Vin Diesel's kid but is Dom Toretto. Yeah. yeah, or uh The Rock and <laughs> Vin Diesel get along. I <laughs> but I mean that's the thing it's, that's that's the thing. It's like can you imagine like the creative writers room in a sitting going let's put the cars in space and like Vin Diesel going with it. put Jason Voorhees in space, put Pinhead in space, put the Leprechaun in space, I want cars in space. Yeah. And you get the cars in space and again it's I'm quite happy to suspend this booth to a point until they start flagrant, blatantly just disregarding the laws of physics to the car flying through space because of fucking stealing it. Yeah. Things like that. I'm like, come on. Which I think (laughs) is enjoyable at this point.
0: Because I think especially because when you look at I mean look at the stunts they achieved in in Top Gun Maverick and look at the stunts they regularly achieve in Mission Impossible now, they're all physically possible because somebody is literally doing them they're not cgi you know he is obviously throwing himself off buildings or climbing the burj khalifa or whatever it is so i think i think that's where they get away with it because there is this basis in reality that he is actually attempting it but you're right if it feels like it's just thought up on the morning of and then they're just sort of flinging shit at the wall and hoping something sticks it's not I great think
2: the, is it <laughs> i a good point as well and the hobson and i thought I was bad for this uh my mate summed this up perfectly. he said we watched a trailer for hobson and Shaw and he thought he went is Idris Elba like a, a supervillain? I mean, do you mean it when It seems to have enhanced strength. <laughs> and it, it, it taking some sort of serum that makes them... a the first villain they're fucking stealing DVD players. Oh, that's right. And you had a the undercover to cover. try and catch them with them in space, or some kind of international spy gang. How this
0: franchise has evolved. That is I do, that's I think that's brilliant. It's
2: essential, um, it's, it's, it's watching it's a point break turning into, turning into uh, James Bond or Mission Impossible it's a point break <laughs> becoming Mission Impossible 7
0: <laughs> uh, I mean when I was when I was looking at sequels Mission Impossible 4 like came up as one of my favourites it absolutely is any time we can get Henry people shaking out his fists I'm all for it some of the ones that I thought of as well were the Planet of the Apes sequel the new Planet mm. of the Apes sequels They're fantastic as far as I'm concerned, I thought they were really good and worthy of it. Logan as well, I thought nice, craggy Hugh Jackman was really good. The Raid 2 also popped up because for that toilet scene alone, I think that's one of the best films ever made. But what I decided to settle on was nonsense because I thought you guys will pick something really serious. So I went for 22 Jump Street because I think that's (laughs) brilliant. Every time I think of the poetry slam scene, I end up absolutely buckled and I can <laughs> pretty much recite it word for word. So I think what I really liked about this was obviously, I mean, the characters are just like, they're just dumb and they've obviously, and they've they've evolved from going undercover in high school to going undercover in college and there's the potential drugs ring, but then all of a sudden Sharon Tatum with his giant neck realizes that he's really good at football. So he's, you know, he wants to be part of it. And then you've got, you know, Ice Cube and uh, the relationship between him and his daughter, and obviously i forgotten his name, That's said, well Jonah Hill is talking about it. he doesn't realise he's telling the captain that he's having sex with his daughter and he's like, we're talking missionary missionary <laughs> missionary <laughs> and I still think that's one of the, oh honestly it just cracks me up, there's, it's one of those films where I go back to, I go back to two of them actually time and time again, but 22 Jump Street in particular for the poetry slam scene alone it's. it's just so funny like there's nothing about it that's just not funny and obviously it culminates in this big sort of um, spring break thing and he's got the Sunset Guns Out t-shirt on and you know there's the big showdown with the drug dealers and stuff like that and I just I, there's not a single scene in it that doesn't absolutely crack me up so I'd looked at serious choices as I say like The Raid 2 and Logan and I thought nah fuck it 22 Jump Street's brilliant.
2: Yeah <laughs> and they films they as well again it's that kind of just the perfect mix of the cast the writing to the yeah. next everything just kind of comes together really nicely. And I always get two of them mixed up in terms of overlap and what jokes and and what films, but it's even just that really daft bit in the second one, when they go to the police station and they've just moved it. (laughs) 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 To number
0: 22, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm so genius. It is so funny. And what I wish was now at the end credits, they show like 23 jumps mm. deep, Magic Skill, 24. I'm like, make these films. <laughs> they would be yeah. so good.
2: That was that that actually annoyed me because I'm watching this going, Don't tease me with this.
0: uh uh-huh. Yeah, I want I, and I can never remember which one it is, the one where he says, I, <laughs> I thought you said we could have Kate Blanchett. And he's like, I said you could have carte
1: blanche. <laughs>
0: So yeah, I dismissed all the, the serious choices and thought that was absolutely hilarious But again, it's one of those films where I mean, it was based on an eighty. I don't know how big Jump Street was the TV show in the 80s Certainly, it seems to be more of an American thing. But again, it just sort of it picked up the right at the right time and just sort of got rid of all the cheesy bits and just went for it as a full on sort of comedy. and I, It just really, really worked.
2: It's an interesting sell, and they're saying we're going to remake Twenty One Jump Street for the big screen, <laughs> but we're not going to do it seriously. Uh-huh. Yeah, because
0: Johnny Depp was in the TV series originally, yeah. So Yeah, yeah. that's
2: right, yeah. And then they tried to the do other things like Chips and Baywatch and stuff and just did not have the same impact. Oh, yeah, a I
0: horrible was that, film. I've not seen Chips. I, I I started watching Baywatch when it was on TV one night and I thought, you know what, life's too short. <laughs> not it's even not Zac good. Efron can say <laughs> this.
2: It's not a good film. <laughs> no. It's a shame because it have got a really good cast and you think, this should have worked if Mm-hmm. And they try to do, they try and do the same, tweet one jump street like parody mm-hmm. aspect of it, and yeah. it just doesn't work at all. It's just not, it's not a good film.
0: Yeah whereas the Jump Street films I feel like as I say they've got it really right and as I say when I every time I watch 22 and they've got all the you know magic skill and chef skill and all this I'm like please just make them this is what I need in my life and so many people talked about Top Gun Maverick is coming along at the right time and giving people a boost and leaving people you know smiling when they're watching it and like leaving the cinema almost feeling sort of uplifted. Jump Street's one of those films that I always find myself like really cheesy grinning at like it just makes you feel sort of good so. More Jump Street, please, for all of yeah. the Hollywood executives who are obviously listening to our podcast.
2: Yeah, Channing just, Tatum just signed up for life and just always <laughs> going to do it like twenty-one Jump Street films. I'm yeah, just...
0: Jonah Hill can occasionally go off and do the series stuff because yeah. he is really good at that as well. But Channing Tatum tied into Jump Street for life.
1: I, have <laughs> you seen uh, Lost City, the yes. Channing Tatum film? Oh
0: he's no, is that good?
1: Very, he's very good in that. That's mm. he's like a he's a a cover model. Uh, on these adventure ah, yeah. boots ha, ha, ha. and he's, he's really funny his comic timing <laughs> is just spot on just I really so want to good. see that uh, yeah, I don't get too much away well. but...
0: That's, uh, so we saw the trailers for it and for some reason we missed it, I think we were either going away or something I can't remember but it does look really good and I think he's someone who I think is obviously aware of how he could have been perceived as this sort of like meathead type of just like muscle guy and I think he really really plays around with that persona which I think is quite self-aware and obviously
1: a seen Free guy yes no
2: yes a cameo in that and his cameo was really really funny again it yeah, yeah, was really good yeah playing up the. oh movie.
0: well i really like the reappearance that he made in hail caesar because again that was a sort of a nudge nudge wink wink to the camera because obviously there's been rumors about him for a wee while and they've got him dressed up as a sailor so oh. i think that was quite quite funny oh,
1: yeah, I the close. whole song and dance number and that's brilliant yeah it's so good yeah because obviously he's a he's a dancer he's a yeah you know, so aye, aye, it was very good, that, yeah, uh, part like, I wasn't, didn't realise we'd taken a break from cinema for a couple of years, but oh, uh really? because of the pandemic, a lot of people didn't really notice. Oh,
0: that's a shame, imagine that, like, imagine, like, <laughs> coming back to an interview, and he's like, oh yeah, well, I've actually taken a break for the past two years, and the interviews, been like, huh, mm-hmm. have you?
2: I, I, <laughs> I've had an interview, I'd be like, to make more Jump Street
0: films. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Are we working on scripts? Or what are we doing? Is it, is it chef school? Is it FBI school? What's happened? Was it not talking um, at
2: one point? Yeah, 21 Jump Street. Uh, Men in Black crossover. Yep.
1: That was supposed oh, to be the next uh, Men be in, Black in Black film. This. And then
2: they went with the Men in Black International instead, which was not a good sequel. It was not a good yeah. sequel. Yeah.
1: It
0: didn't look
2: it. It wasn't. Actually. I'm going to bring this filter a little bit here regarding sequels. Grease 2 is also a great sequel. In Never seen it. I've opinion? heard this badge. But...
0: Sure. <laughs> I really hate yeah. it. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I
2: mean, John, how can you go wrong with it? In the first one, you've got this. Kind of love story, but the Australian student and John Travolta. He's a cool kid. She's kind of the preppy kid, and they get the girl at the end. Why not have reverse that in the second one and have Michelle Pfeiffer as the cool kid? And then you've got the foreign student, make them English this time because we can't do another Australian, but have them, have them related to Sandy for the first one. But obviously, she can't have American relatives, so it's, quote, it has to be foreign, but it's a different country, and turn them into a motorcycle vigilante to try and win <laughs> her love.
0: And I will never forget that song, Reproduction, the that they sang with a biology teacher. <laughs> somewhere in my brain every so often my brain just goes, do you remember that song from Grease?
2: <laughs> my, my favorite bit in Grease is also the who's that guy song but it's when he finishes the song in his head. Now I'm quite yes. happy, for it. So people bust out his songs, they finish shell's lines and that but the same when they all sing who's that guy, the man, the psycho they cut cuts to him and his head he goes what would they say if they knew it was Michael?
0: that type of quality writing that makes you wonder why it just didn't perform as well as the first one before we finish up another wee news actually that i don't know if any of you saw this week that nobody else gives a fuck about apart from me tom hardy posted on instagram that he's finished the script for venom 3
2: i didn't see that he
0: he has the na- he just said it has venom that he drew a little venom on the the script and outline of one and so that seems to be definitely going ahead as well, so, so I should just disappoint cinema lovers but it's happening
2: I liked Venom, I liked the first Venom. I thought the second one was more fun, although it was very short it was a lot more fun than the first one, it was just over the top I like them, um, I'm, I'm here for more Venom
0: Yep, I like them. So on that happy note, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We promise we're going to get back at this more regularly. If you want to get in touch with John, you can do so through the email podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. His inbox is looking a bit lonely, but that's because we've not been podding recently. And you can obviously catch us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Moviescramble. But until next time, it's bye from all of us.